back to the Cape Fear Rundown. From WHQR Public Media, I'm your host, Camille Mojica. This week, we're going to be talking to Ben about court records and how they're super interesting and how they work and how they can get sealed, unsealed, resealed, and yeah, stick around. Since it's a single segment this week, we don't need an introduction. Let's get right into it. Welcome back to the Keep Your Rundown. I'm here with Ben Shockman. I hate my boss. And I, yeah, woo! Now you can't get, I, I can't get in trouble because I said I hate you. That was a harsh, harsh intro. No, well, it's it's part of a song. I just made the song. And this is a callback to a previous episode that we did about this. Oh my god, it is. See? Okay. There you I go, you get it now. I see what you're doing now. You should explain this immediately to the listeners. Though. Yes, I do not hate my boss. We are talking about the True Colors murder case here. And my singing, I Hate My Boss, is a callback to how they're using rap lyrics as part of this case this trial and I did a horrible example during that episode as well about singing a song about how much you hate your principal and then the next day there's pie all over your principal's car and you get in trouble because you were the one that sang the song even though you didn't smear the pie on the car. That's right so to recap what that was all about (laughs) is basically many people would assume that a you know a rap song like any other work of art uh, gives you some plausible deniability, some distance between you as a as a person, as a resident of the United States, someone who can be put on trial for murder, <laughs> and the persona who is singing on the track. Yes. Um, now, hip hop uh, is one of the genres I say, like along with country, uh, country westerns that do deal with a lot more everyday life scenarios. And so sometimes there's a lot of crossover. That Venn diagram of who I am on the album and who I am in reality yes, is, is a lot of crossover. So there's been increasingly a lot of court cases where artists' lyrics, as rap artists, predominantly, um, there's a few other cases where it's been different genres, but really rap is what we're talking about here, has been used against them in court. And the standards are a little different depending on what state you're in, but basically the closer you are to actually admitting to a crime with some specificity. When, where, what was the murder weapon? Mm-hmm. Why did you do it? Who did you kill? Where did you go afterwards? The more of that that's in there, the more likely it is to be used against you. And so it's rarely used alone. And what's interesting about the True Colors case is that there's not a ton of other evidence. It wasn't like there's, so just for the record, um, from what I can tell from the court records, there, there's no witnesses, there's no murder. We know what kind of gun was used because we found shell casings but we haven't found that gun, okay. as far as I can tell. Okay. Uh, no fingerprints, uh, no DNA evidence. Um, they may have a suspect vehicle description, but it's not like they have a license plate. There's some cell phone data that puts some of the suspects in the area, according at least according to the prosecution. But this is not like an open and shut case. And so some people I've talked to have told me, usually rap lyrics, are used in conjunction with an eyewitness or a mm-hmm. fingerprint or something like that. Okay. Now, the reason why we're hashing this subject again and opening it is because we are talking about a different aspect of you following this case, and this has to do with court records. But what specifically about court records? So there's so much to this case, and I think just objectively, without talking about the merits of who might be innocent or who might be guilty, mm-hmm. 
it's been a fascinating process because it, it brings in so many of these strange issues, like the admissibility of rap lyrics. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we talked on previous CFR episodes about the grand jury. Yes. And so it's worth pulling back the camera a little bit, looking at the process. So where we've gotten most of this information isn't because we have some kind of cool magic inside source, a mole in the courthouse, is that these are, by and large, public records, court documents that are filed in superior uh, criminal court. So now where, as journalists, just to explain to our listeners, where do we, as journalists, find these public documents? Is it on a computer somewhere? So right now it is on a computer, and there was a time, actually, when I started. um, In fact, earlier on in this case, which has been going since... I would say August of 2021. 2021, okay. The first time I went to the courthouse to check on some information, I asked for what I called the shuck, which some people uh, mean it's just, it's a manila envelope with everything that's public in it. Oh. And this had- For a specific case. For a specific case. You have to give them a case number, which is usually the last two numbers of the uh, year, followed by some letters. So like CRS would mean criminal superior. Okay. Um, and then a case number, which is like all of the cases for that year. Yeah. And at the time, they just handed me this giant manila envelope, and I was able to flip through it. I couldn't take it with me. So physical papers and physical stuff. papers, and many many court systems around the state and around the country are slowly trans with varying degrees of success. <laughs> um, whole other story for whole other time. But there's been some issues with North Carolina's attempt to go online. But right now, New Hanover County for Superior Court, they can send you a lot of this stuff digitally. And so you have to have a case file, and you have to know who to email at the court system. Um, it's not, it, it's on, a, I'm sure it's on a website somewhere. Uh, a lot of people don't know how to find it. But again, this, this is not magic. This is something anyone in the public is able to get access to. Okay, so now we're talking about this because while we do have some of this information that's out there and in the public, there are parts of court documents that are not in the public. Can you explain to us a little bit about what it happens when things are sealed? Yeah, so that's um, that's a really interesting wrinkle in all of this, is that there are some things that, for various reasons, they would ordinate a certain kind of filing or piece of you know a piece of paperwork would be public, but there's a good reason not to make it public, and one of those things is a plea deal. So what's a plea deal? Plea deal is, um, it's fairly common because all courts, no matter what they tell you, courts are understaffed and underfunded and backlogged, which is a constitutional violation. Yeah. You have a right, you have a constitutional right to a speedy trial. Now, some trials are slowed down by the defense, and that's their right. They actually have to waive their right to a speedy trial if they want to, like, put it on hold. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, but say, like, you want more time to review the evidence or to find witnesses. That's fine. Okay. So you opt out of the speedy trial. You sometimes that happens. Okay. Um, but some, but even, and also speedy trial, eh, uh, is, yeah, is kind of mushy. The, yeah, two weeks, a month. You know, yeah. we've seen, you know, we've seen some court processes take a year, sometimes three years, sometimes in between. But all of that to say, um, a plea deal is a way to say like, okay, you don't have enough to convict me on murder, but you you probably got me on this drugs. And, uh, and an illegal firearm. Mm. I will plead guilty to that. I'm going to prison. Um, so some justice is served. And the prosecution will say, look, a bad person or a, a person who is a, a risk to society is going to prison for a while. And it may not be the charge we wanted, but it is some measure of justice. 
and it, it frees up our resources to prosecute other cases. Okay, now could you tell us why that would sometimes not be the best thing to have open to the public? Exactly. So sometimes it's just a matter of expediency. The defense and the prosecution kind of agree, this is kind of what you're going to get us on. Okay. Sometimes the prosecution says, in exchange for your assistance in maybe your uh, someone else who was involved in the crime. So imagine, you imagine you're driving the getaway car in a in a shooting. Cami Mojica at the wheel. <gasps> DJ Kimchi Mojica <laughs> is the getaway driver. Under North Carolina law, you can also be charged with felony murder. Even though I didn't kill anyone. Even though you never touched a gun. Everyone involved in the commission of the crime can all be charged with murder. Wow, okay. Now, say the murder case isn't airtight, and they're like, we might not get them all. They could come to you and say, Cami, we're going to drop the murder charges. For me. For you. And we're going to charge you with, uh, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto or something. Aiding and abetting? Is that Aid- a thing? Aiding and abetting is just is also the crime. Oh. So all right, well then, yes. Hold a the, the loophole for all the time. Grand Theft Auto, I stole the car. Or something, you know. Reckless endangerment. You're going to prison for a little bit, but okay. you're not going away for murder. In exchange, Uh-oh. you have to give us the identity of the actual shooter. Who in the car pulled the trigger, Cami? And you're like, I ain't, I'm never snitching. I'm not a snitch. And why wouldn't you snitch? Because I'm going to get hurt. Exactly. So that's why if <laughs> Somebody's going to hurt me. Exactly. So that's why if you do snitch, that goes in the plea agreement and then they seal it. Oh, so they're protecting me by doing that. Yes. And my family and potentially anybody who knows me. Yeah. It's not like full on putting you in witness protection because you are going to jail. But if it was in a public record that you snitched, that you, you named names, and then you go to prison, wow, you are in serious trouble. Yes. And that's generally acknowledged in federal court um, and, and many local courts that for your own protection, for your, we would basically be giving you a death sentence if we made it public that you cooperated and named certain people and then put you somewhere where you are going to have a very hard time protecting yourself. Yes. So that's one reason that they might seal a document. Okay, so sure, they might seal a document, but it may not be sealed right away. And this is this is where we're getting into the fun part. Yeah, so this is, if you've ever seen the movie Spotlight, which is about the Boston Globe investigation of... Um, abuse by the Catholic Church. Yes. There's a moment in here which a colleague of mine, Preston Lennon, was re-watching one night, and he went, holy crap. And it was because they're talking about when, because the case named, you know, powerful people. Yes. Um, a lot of it was sealed, and then the case was appealed. This is in federal court. And the case went to a circuit court of appeals. Okay, so we're in federal court. Yep. Things happen, but then it gets appealed, and we're going to a new. Yes, and so basically you have to reintroduce the whole case. All of it. All of it. And so a lot of that includes documents from the previous case. You're like, oh, by the way, this is this is the recap at the beginning of the show. Okay. And again, a lot of that is going to be the same information that was sealed at the district federal court level. So they they're going to want to reseal that, but it's a process. The, you know, so it doesn't automatically get resealed. No, it doesn't automatically get resealed. So what friend of the show, Preston Lennon's idea was, hey, I wonder if that's ever been the case in any of these like big gang busts, for example. Okay. And sure enough, it was. We found a, uh, a big-time heroin dealer here in Wilmington whose case had gone through federal court 
um, and then been sealed and then gone to appeals court and was for a brief period of time unsealed. Now, how brief of a period are we talking here? A couple weeks, I believe. Okay, so somebody would have to know to look yes. during this time and know that, okay, they moved from one court to the other. That means this stuff's not sealed yet, so I can see it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's one way in which that which is sealed can become unsealed. If, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another way. Uh-oh. Um, and, that's spe- and, th- and this is coming back to our True Colors case. In this case, and I want to be clear, I do not know why this happened. Okay. I just know that it happened. We don't know. All three attorneys for all three of the suspects in the True Colors case all agreed to the same motion, which was to unseal for very limited purposes the plea deal of, a f- of another person who was involved in a federal case. So not related to this case. As far as I can tell, I have no. If there's a there's there got to be some. Okay, relation. wait. Yes, we don't know. We, but don't we know. just don't know. Okay. I looked this person up. Um, I couldn't find very much about him other than that he had been convicted of uh, possession of a certain amount of heroin. Um, he did have two guns confiscated from him, neither of which matched the type of weapon that was used. That was used, from what I can tell, in the True Colors case. So I, I can't tell. I have no idea why, but something in that plea deal that that this this federal suspect agreed to must have some relevance to this case. So all three attorneys said, "Let's unseal it for very, very, very specific reasons." Yes. So only the def- and it's a federal court. Sorry, a, a federal judge um, writes this order that says, "All right, you get a copy. Like the defense, like you can look at this, and prosecutors, you can look at this. No one else can look at this." So, okay, gotcha. And so for, even though that was sealed, like no one can see this, turns out someone can see it. So who's the someone? What happened? The someone is the defense and the prosecution. And again, we don't know why this has happened, but there, you know, it stands to reason that there is something in that plea deal that either casts one of those defendants in a negative light or possibly suggest someone who might have had a better motive for committing this crime, or an additional person who may have been involved that we haven't currently arrested. Again, no idea. I just think it's one of these fascinating little wrinkles where, yeah, this plea deal, sealed forever. Well, actually (laughs) actually not Mm. sealed forever. So, super quickly, can we just paint a picture for our listeners here as, let's say, journalist Ben Shockman is going to go look for a certain case. Right You're going to go to the courthouse, correct? Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? So here's, if, if you want to try this yourself, you can because you're a public citizen. So here's what you do. You go down to downtown Wilmington, um, and if you've got your own courthouse, you got to figure this out on your own, but you may find a similar situation. Okay. Um, but for this, for this, I'm talking about the downtown Wilmington courthouse. So you go to the courthouse, um, you go up Princess Street, Behind the historic red brick, uh, you know, fancy church house looking thing, there's a concrete steel and glass <laughs> building, a lot less historic looking. You go through the door, you go through the metal detectors, leave whatever you leave most of your stuff behind, save yourself some time. Don't bring a weapon. There's a whole wall of weapons Please people try to sneak in. On the first floor, um, so once you go through the metal detectors, you'll make a left. You'll go by a bank of elevators. There's an old timey shoe shine chair. It's uh, very comfy. Take a seat if you want. Have a sit for a spell. And then you'll see uh, a a room with um, clerks. They're lovely people. They're there to help. 
And to the left are two computer terminals from, best I can tell, the early 90s. The terminals. The terminals. Now, what is the terminal? The terminals are um, old-timey computers, like desktop computers, a little clunky, but they get the job done. There's two programs you can run on them. One is a way to search for civil cases. Okay. Another story for another time. And a way to search criminal cases. And again, we are transitioning from the current system to a new system. So you may not be able to search everywhere in the state from this terminal, but you can definitely search New Hanover County. Okay. You put in someone's name, it brings up everything that has ever happened. If you put in Ben Shockman, you will see the speeding ticket I got <laughs> in 2005 because I was coming back home from New Jersey back down here. 2005. And I was, maybe 2004, but I was going very fast. <laughs> wow. Yes. I was five or six years old. Yes. Yes. I was much faster than you then. <laughs> um, and I got a speeding ticket, and you can see that I got a prayer for judgment, um, which is a weird North Carolina thing where you basically get a get a jail free card as long as the crime wasn't too bad. Oh, okay. So I drove up to, I believe it was, um, God, it must have been Burgall. So it must have been in in, du- in um, uh, Pender County. Oh, no. I drove over to Burgall and did my... my you your time. I plead for mercy. <laughs> um, so you put in the name, and it'll bring up that name and any sort of closely related names. You can see the race, the uh, date of birth, and every individual charge. Okay. And if you click on that charge, you can... There's a page that says expanded details or something like that. You can see a whole history of what happened from when the crime was committed to when you were arrested who the prosecutor was, who your defense attorney was, um, all the different little court dates, if there were multiple hearings, and then what ultimately happened to it. So if you're looking for stuff about a case, right, do you go to these computers, these all little the terminals? Time. All the time. Okay. Because it's not that stuff's not online. You gotta, so it's not on the normal internet. It's you not have on the to normal the, internet. you got to go down there. And sit with the clerks. And sit with the clerks and, and go through this stuff. Um, you can email yourself the records, which is nice. Okay. So it's, now you've found your court record. Yes. Right, and you found um, importantly the case number, um, and there's sometimes other ways to find that case number, but this is a good way to find it. Then you go to the basement, which is actually just I believe called uh, floor one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're gonna go to floor. But you're gonna go one. down. Get in the elevator that's on the on the floor you came in and go down. Okay. Uh, there's only one more floor down you can go, and that's the criminal division. So when you walk in. I was actually there recently. It was all decorated, decorated for Halloween. That was nice. Uh, <laughs> was it decorated like a morgue? <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> Very spooky. So on the right, you've got district court. That's for low-level offense. Actually, everything starts in district court pretty much um, and then gets moved pretty quickly to superior court. But sometimes if it's even a serious case, if it's like right when someone is arrested for, say, murder, um, the warrant, you can get that from the district court side. Okay. But if it's a serious case and it's been going on for a while, you want to go to the superior court which is there's only one window and it's on the left. All right, so I walk up to this window with my case number that I have found. Knocking. Now who answers? uh, One of the very helpful clerks who worked there. Okay. And what they're gonna tell you now is that, hey, just email us and we will send you a copy of this. So email us the... The case number and what you're looking for. Okay. And then you, that's how you get your documents. And that's how you get your documents. Now, if it's stuff from district court, which sometimes includes things like search warrants um, or arrest warrants, then you got to go to the district side. And they sometimes charge you for copying, and sometimes if they're in a real good mood. They won't. They might just let you look at it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Um, but definitely, be, if, you're, if you're looking for something that might be 
voluminous. Bring a charge card. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like 25 cents a page or something. Well, that's fair. But I wanted to basically paint the, the picture of what it actually looks like for our listeners. Because we're talking about records, seeing things, things disappearing, things getting sealed. And I wanted them to know like what exactly we are looking at. And I'm looking at a terminal screen yep. when I'm looking for this case number. Yep. And so that's, that's how it works. And then you've got to sort through, in some cases, hundreds of pages and figure out, you know, what what means something, what doesn't mean something. Yeah, but court documents are so much fun to look through because everything is there. Everything is laid out in a way that is kind of uncommon in journalism. Usually things are messy. You interview something, someone, they, they say one thing, then they say it again, but another way. No, court documents, it's it's law. It's in there. It's law and it's in there. So, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating type of reporting What's really interesting to me is that most crime reporting, in general, you see a f- like a, a flood of information when it first happens. You know, m- most small town newspapers and TV news stations probably have at least one or two people on staff who know how to go and get the search warrant and get the details of the initial arrest. Okay. What's w- and then usually you don't see a lot about the case until you mean in the news. Yeah. In, in most local news until it's done, until like yeah, that's there's, true. there's hearing and sentencing. But there is a lot more that you can learn about these cases if if you have the interest and the, the wherewithal to sort through all this paperwork. And that's been the case with our true colors. Because I think it's an interesting way to explore how our criminal justice system works and sometimes doesn't work. And I think that's that's a part of the story that very few people know. And I, I say that with no disrespect because I'm someone who's really interested in this yes. and follows it closely, and I keep learning new stuff. This is super cool. I just learned a whole bunch of stuff sitting here right now. Hopefully big, our listeners have learned something. Big brain. Now my brain is huge. It's, you guys can't see it, but it is <laughs> swollen to three times its usual size. I hate my boss, Ben Shockman. Okay, there's callback and then there's just <laughs> what you're doing to me now. <laughs> Ben, thank you so much for being in the studio with me this week and for explaining to us how records are sealed and unsealed. And sealed again. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Cape Fear Rundown. Check out our show notes for relevant links and titles to the music we use this week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just general feedback, get in touch. Feel free to shoot me an email at cmojica, that's M-O-J-I-C-A, at whqr.org, or you can find me on X at Cami Reports. I'd love to hear from you. I'm your host, Camille Mojica, and I'll see you next week.